This year we'll do 1.6 million. I'll work maybe five hours in a given week. I don't even need to do that, but that's just to kind of keep up with things. About five hours of my time is needed each week. But most of my job is really just create a piece of content each week. That's what feeds the beast. Welcome to another episode of the Upflip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Freeman, and my guest today is Graham Cochran, whose story many listeners can likely relate to. Graham didn't set out to be an entrepreneur. He started his business out of necessity after being laid off during the 2009 recession, a move that led to more success than he ever dreamed, growing it to a seven-figure business in only three years. Today, Graham shares how he found financial security with his online business, along with his advice on how to set up viable and consistent passive income streams. One spoiler, automation is a big part of it, and he'll share how and where he automates to make more money without investing more time. Let's go talk to Graham. Graham, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Alec. Good to be here, man. Let's get started with your story. So can you can you give us the, the lowdown on when and why you started your first business? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a, a need to make money. We moved my family from Virginia to Florida at the time. We were helping a buddy plant a church, and we moved down here. We were all going to volunteer, get jobs, and that was in the middle of the Great Recession. So it was actually hard to get a job in, in the first place, but we were able to get, was able to get a job, get us moved down here, bought our first house, had our first baby, and then four months into this journey, uh, the company I was working for, which is a, a financial tech startup, they ran out of money and they had to let me go. And so here I was, unemployed, uh, new state, new house, new mortgage, new baby, and my back was up against a wall. And so I, you know what? I, it was one of those moments where I didn't want to go back to get another job. I knew this was like my time to try something else. That's when I dove into the deep end and tried to figure something out. Great. And so what was that, what was that first deep end you dove into? I thought that my path to self-employment would be freelance recording and mixing bands. I have a background as a musician, and then I went to audio school to learn how to make records. And I, I for a little bit, worked in a big studio, and then I much preferred to go freelance. And so I had that skill set, and I was doing side gigs, nights and weekends, recording bands and singer-songwriters for fun money, extra money. So my thought was, this is the time maybe to ramp that up full-time but I didn't know anybody in Tampa where I live now. I just moved there. And so I, I couldn't get clients locally very quickly. So while I was trying to do that, I thought maybe I could start a blog and eventually a YouTube channel, create some content online, and maybe people would find my content and they would see what I'm doing with my few clients that I did have and see that I'm talented. And maybe they would want to reach out and hire me because there's a lot of remote work you can do, post-production work. So I could do it from anywhere. And so that was the plan. I thought I'd make content, get client work, had no intention of building a content-based business, which is what I do now. And how long did it take you to to build into a a passive income source um, as a business? Because sort of everything that you described sounds like sort of the opposite of passive. Yeah, I mean that's the beauty of it is I I, I realized early on that while I was doing client work and I started to make some content that I thought would be lead generation for my service-based business because that's all I knew. I didn't know about passive income. I didn't know about online courses. It, it was somewhat being done by some big players back then, but not very many. And I didn't know who they were. So what I discovered though, was when I started posting articles and videos, I mean, I was blogging in 2009. I started my YouTube channel in January of 2010. People were finding the content. They were, they were finding the videos and they were liking them and they were asking good follow-up questions. Could you make a video on this? Could you make a video on that? And I started to discover here I was trying to offer a service to these people, but a lot of these people wanted to do it themselves. 
And so a lot of what I teach my clients today is the things that you could help people with or coach them through, a lot of them want to do it on their own as well. They just need a little bit of remote coaching or some asynchronous training. They could watch a video and then go implement it. And I realized it was the information I had, how to do a certain skill that was valuable, not exactly just me doing it for them. And so that's where I started to see, could I sell my knowledge? Is that a thing I could package up and sell? And that's what's allowed me obviously to create passive income because it's a digital product that's scalable. So as you were kind of building into that, it is now a passive income stream. uh, I just want to kind of do a little compare and contrast here. How many hours a week were you working? And then what does that look like now, now that you kind of do understand building out those passive income streams? Oh yeah. I mean, so back in the day, if I were mixing an album for a band, let's say I might I mean, depending on how many songs, it might be a couple of thousand dollars. It might be $10,000 on the high end back then. And it was, you know, days and days and days, maybe a few weeks of like 40 hour work weeks, like getting a whole album done could be maybe two weeks of work. So I would work 40 hours. I would work normal eight, nine to five in my little office. And maybe I made $15,000 one year, you know, because I didn't have very many clients and then $20,000 another year working full time is kind of like the pace. It was it was really bad. It's not really great hourly rate if you look at it because a lot of that time was trying to get clients. Whereas today, I've, I've built two businesses, but like the one I'm doing primarily right now in the business coaching space, this year we'll do 1.6 million. I'll work maybe five hours in a given week. I don't even need to do that, but that's just to kind of keep up with things. About five hours of my time is needed each week. What are you spending those five hours on? Yeah. So the number one thing that drives this type of business is content. Content that gets discovered on a Google search or a YouTube search primarily as the face of the company, as the face of the brand. I'm the educator in this in this case. I'm making the content. So about an hour to two hours, I'm filming a video podcast these days is what I'm doing primarily. That goes up each week. I'm checking in with a, a paid community that I run and coach answering questions, you know, doing challenges, that kind of thing. And then once a month, I'm creating a, a, a training, a recording of the class for them. I'm also doing a live Q&A with them. I've had a mastermind the last couple of years where we had a standing meeting every week. And then it's just checking some emails. It's it's responding to a few people on YouTube with some nice things to say. And then just checking in with a little bit of my team. I have a very small team, but most of my job is really just create a piece of content each week. That's what feeds the beast. So what are some of those those revenue streams that someone should look at if they do want to to start kind of doing um i guess i guess what you're doing uh, to to kind of build out that passive income business what what revenue stream should they be looking at you you mentioned some in your in your previous answer just now but can you kind of like give us an encapsulation of what those might look like yeah so the way i view passive income is there's four pillars of it or there's four things that you need for it to work number one is you need content that you're posting regularly online videos podcasts, blog posts, stuff that can get discovered. Then you need a lead magnet, which is another piece of content that's, you build it once, it's available in each of your videos or podcasts or blog posts, but it's a it's a juicy piece of content that they have to opt into your email list in order to get, but it's still free and it's a way for people to filter down who really are interested. That then gets them on your email list where you can have some automated emails following up, adding some more value, giving them some surprise and delight. Here's another guide, another cool thing. And then eventually it's going to pitch one of your digital products. That's the key. And that could be an online video course where you're teaching a topic over a few hours in a video course, or it could be a a paid community that you run and, or it could be an app that you could sell. I mean, anything that's digital, that's could be purchased without your involvement. Those four things, content leading to a lead magnet, leading to an email, 
series that pitches your digital product. And, and the best one I think is an online course that can happen on autopilot. And that's what's making me money while, while I'm doing this podcast, for example, with you. It, it sounds simple, but you, you need some ramp up. You need people to discover you. And that's where the content starts to snowball. But at the end of the day, that's all we're doing is getting leads and then selling to them automatically something that they can buy and get value from without our involvement. I think for a lot of people, especially those that um, are listening to this from from the United States, that there's uh, this kind of like cultural understanding of uh, I I go I I have this skill I learn this skill I sell this skill for money um, and that's kind of what makes up the work week. But when you have passive income, that seems to require a different mindset. Can you talk about that mindset shift away from a, a dollar amount for every hour put in versus versus developing a passive income stream? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I didn't have this mindset at all. I, I, I wrote a book uh, called How to Get Paid for What You Know. And at the very beginning, I say I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I didn't even know anything about entrepreneurship. So don't mishear me. I wasn't one of those people that was like, I want to go build my own thing. I don't want to go work for anybody. I didn't know there was any other way. And building a business sounded very scary to me, complex. I didn't know anything about it. So I'm a great example of someone who understands go to work, put in hours, get paid for your time. And maybe you work for yourself, but it's the same thing. You're still getting paid for your time. So it, it took me a while to change the mindset. I, I had to figure something out. So I had a lot of like, pressure to, you know, I wasn't choosing to go build a business and I didn't quit my job on my own terms. I was, I was fired or let go as they ran out of money. But the mindset shift is, and, and this is where you have to just either believe someone who's gone there before or get their, their mentorship or coaching so that you, you're not doing it alone. But it's going to be hard to imagine if you haven't coached and how to do it. But the idea is simple. There's a lot of ways to make a living the simplest way is to trade your time for, for a paycheck. And that's a great way to get started. But you can also make a living if you have something that can sell, that's valuable. And so that could be anything. And what I'm doing online is selling something that can be sold with software in unlimited quantities. And so I, I'm free because I've basically created an asset and created so much value in the marketplace for free that people are interested in even hearing about the paid stuff. And that is like a... a a machine that you build that then can go make money for you. And so you don't get paid to build that machine. That's the problem. It's a front loaded. This is not a fast way to make money, but it's a process of building something and building a system and then putting it in the world and nurturing it. It's like a garden that once it's out there, it will bear fruit forever. And then you get paid on the back end, but you can get paid in much higher amounts and without having to work at all if you don't want to. And at least it's in disproportionate to the time you put in. So I think people are scared to your question to jump in because they won't get paid initially up front. And that's why I, I recommend people keep your job, begin the, the planting the seeds of this online business. And as it begins to grow, you will have the, the ability and the confidence to make that leap and then go all in on your business. That's a really good point because I think that a lot of people who are more naturally entrepreneurs are more ready to take that kind of risk. So I'm curious to pose the question to you as someone who never intended to be an entrepreneur. What is the best way for somebody to kind of get over that initial fear? If you have coaching, and that can mean just like a book. I mean, that's why I wrote my book. And I, you know, it doesn't have to be my book. So I don't want to, but get, get someone who can be your guide, even if it's from afar. Get a $20 book if, if that's all you have. And follow their plan, like learn from their mistakes, see what's working, understand the model. Like any business you want to go start, you, you would be foolish to just start it without knowing anything about how that industry works or what the, the market looks like. Or So find someone who's done it before and thank goodness for content. That's why I make my podcast. I'm a YouTube channel. Like, 
it's all free coaching for people so they can go get the information. And I'm very linear. So I don't just talk about concepts. I try to give people like, here's the steps. Like like we talked about those four pillars of passive income. I try to teach step one, do this, step two, do this. And I teach all that for free so that that would be your confidence to go see, okay, I see the way Grand does his businesses. It's not the only way to make a living online. It's not the only type of passive income business. It's a great one. Uh, it's an option, but you could see it, the whole business model laid out and know realistically how long it might take to get started, what you should do first, second, or third. And I think that would give you the confidence to at least take your first step. Anybody can begin to think about the industry they want to teach on, what they could share that would be valuable to somebody. Maybe start your podcast or your YouTube channel. Those are very low barrier, zero cost, low friction things to get started while you work your job where you can just test drive the first part of this business model, which is the content and interacting with people. And it's the funnest part because you're giving for free, you're helping people. And I think that confidence comes little by little. I'm a very slow, nervous person person when it comes to change. I really am slow to adapt. My businesses have had to pivot multiple times and cool opportunities that I should have jumped on sooner, but I'm just slow because I'm scared. I don't know if that's gone away. So I understand those fears, but it is a one little step at a time, but get the model, You know, get someone who's done it before. So you're not figuring it out on your own. How much planning is necessary before somebody kind of gets started or is it something that is best left to jump two feet in? Yeah, I think you just need a, a few weekends, you know, just I would tell people, if you're serious about this, give yourself 30 days to figure out what your idea is going to be, who you're going to help, and give yourself 30 days to start something from there. Because it does take research at the beginning. I mean, you don't just want to start making content. This is something that's a big myth is, if I just create content, people will come. And it's not that simple because people are looking for content every day. That's why YouTube is such a powerful tool because YouTube is a one giant search engine. And so people go there and they search for how to speak French, how to fix my toilet, how to make a million dollars, whatever it is. And so you do need to figure out first, I think, what could you talk about? What could you share that's valuable? How can, who have you helped in the past? What have you helped them do in real life? I bet there's millions of those people like that on the internet. And it's kind of figuring out the combination of what you are good at, what you like to talk about, how you've helped people in the past, and then figuring out which of those things on that list have a market where people are actually buying books and spending money in that in that space and just kind of doing some basic research. You want to kind of figure that intersection out first. It's the most important thing, kind of validating your idea. It doesn't take any creating of a product or any major work. It's just a few weekends of some basic research that's very easy to find and fun. But I would say 30 days from now, you could you could start your channel, get that going, and you could start your making your first video or that, that it doesn't take long to get that process going. A quick note for our listeners that if you like what you've been hearing on this podcast, help us grow our audience and keep providing quality, informative business content by leaving us a review wherever you are listening. Graham, can you talk about what that that sort of initial planning process of doing a a skill, interest, and knowledge inventory for somebody? What how how do you go about that process of saying, um, no, I am I am an expert with with skill and knowledge that I can I can teach others in this area. Yeah, that's where most people get hung up. And, and I'll, I'll, I'm, I'll just pick it on you. I would say the word expert is the one I don't like to use because it trips people up. There's, there's something just like, I have no problem with it personally, but people go, oh, but I'm not an expert on anything. And when we say expert, I don't know what comes to mind for you. Some different things come to mind. Sometimes it's a degree or certification, whatever. And so we need to get that language, I think, out of our system because that can just be a stumbling block for getting started. No one's looking for an expert at the end of the day. They're, they're looking for help. They're looking for results. 
So if I needed to lose weight, I almost don't care who you are on the internet. I don't really care if you're an expert or if you have a degree in in exercise science um, or physiology. I actually care about have you helped people? Have you helped yourself? Do you have like before and after photos of yourself? Like I lost a lot of weight and now I'm going to help you do it. Like that's all I need to know that you know what you're doing. And so I think it starts by don't try to be an expert and don't ask yourself, what am I an expert at? Because I don't feel like I'm an expert at anything. I'll be honest. But start with a list of what do you love talking about? What do you love doing? What do you read books on, nerd out on podcasts on? What have you helped people do in the past? What do people text you or call you up and ask help for, right? Are you the person in your circle that always knows the answer of like how to fix their car or when they have car problems or helping people with their money or whatever? What questions do people ask you all the time? And you're that person in your friend group. These are all clues as to things you could help people with, things that you're passionate about. And that's a great starting point where you get to be selfish and just dream up all the things you would love to talk about and teach people because you're going to need to love this. For this business model to work, you have to be in this game a long time. And I tell people, imagine doing this for the next five to 10 years. Can you talk about this topic for the next five to 10 years? If the answer is, nah, I'm not that interested in it, then move on to something you're more interested in. So come up with that list. And then the second list is really important. You have to then take that list and find the intersection between what you love, what you're good at, what you're passionate about, what you've helped people with in the past, and then find that where that intersects with what the market says is valuable. And this is easy to find, right? You can you can get on amazon.com and you can look under the books category and just type in your topic and see if there's books being published on that topic. If there are books being published by major publishers, then you know that there's already like market research being done that's worthwhile for this publisher to spend money on paying an author and putting the book together and advertising the book. That's a great place to start. And you and you'll know the industries. Most of us most of us are already aware of an industry where we could jump in. It really becomes actually a, a block in that people say, but that industry is so saturated. Like the health one, for example, there's so many people that teach how to lose weight, but that means it's a great market. Saturated markets are great markets because that means there's endless money being spent in that market and it'll never dry up. And there's always room for someone else at the table because the way people get information today is we don't look to gurus. We look for our own voice that we like listening to, learning from the way they think about things. So you, you, you don't have to be shy, you know, scared of these crowded market. So it's really, again, just what you love talking about, what you love helping people with, and then doing some simple research on Amazon, on Google, just seeing if there is a market for that topic or niche. So if someone has gotten has has gotten past that, that to that next stage, right? They're ready to, to kind of get started. What are some of those crucial first steps once they have the idea and they're like, I can talk about this for the next five to 10 years? And why are those the important critical first steps? Once that market research is done, just the general like 30,000 foot view, like, yeah, there's people that need help in this topic. Then you want to do a step that most people don't do. Most people just go right to posting about it and and sharing about it. You really want to just take a little bit of time to think through what I call your customer avatar. And it's it's just a hypothetical version of a person that you would be helping. As you go on the internet, it's very easy to to speak in the plurality of, hey, you guys, hey, everyone. And you, you imagine speaking to a crowd because that's that's what's happening. You've got you know potentially millions of people listening or hundreds or thousands or 10,000s, but you're really not. You're speaking to one person at a time. And, and that, that'll help your content be more powerful when you say, hey, friend, or hey, you, and you speak in the singular. But it also helps you think through all I'm doing is speaking to one person and I can come up, I have a Google Doc and you can make one of like your hypothetical target listener, audience, eventual customer. Is it a man or a woman or both? What age are they? What 
What is their season of life? What keeps them up at night around this topic or niche? What are they stressed about? What are they challenged with? What are their hopes and dreams? And if you don't know these these answers, they're going to come from either two places. Either one, you used to be your target market. That's how I got started. I created a brand called The Recording Revolution, helping musicians learn how to record their music. I knew everything that they were struggling with because that was me 10 years prior when I was in high school. I wanted to know what equipment do I buy? How do you make it sound professional? I don't know. How. So I knew all the pain points and all the desires because I was that person. So a lot of times that's the easiest way to create that customer avatar. Think through where you struggled, what you desired, what things you've already tried, You know what, you, what lies you believed, what myths you fell for. And if, you, if you're not the target market, but you've helped people in this target, then think about the people you've helped. Or if you don't know, get online and ask like, hey, friends, get on social or ask your family. I'm considering creating some content to help people lose weight and feel healthy. If that's you, what's your biggest frustration with that? Or what's been your biggest challenge in those journeys? So just DM me back or email me back or text me back. I'd love to know where you've gotten stuck and just trying to understand people better. You can ask a few friends or ask the social media world and you'll get some real language of what people struggle with and what they really want. And that's sort of the filtering down to, okay, I, I think based off of what I know, I could help this type of person get rid of this type of pain or struggle or challenge and achieve this kind of dream or result. And then you have like a one-page doc that really summarizes who you're going to go help for the next five to 10 years. And that's going to grow and change as you learn more about your future audience. But it's a great starting point. I assume that the the kind of avatar of your customer is going to be is going to factor into this. But I'm curious about building uh, brand awareness and I guess ultimately brand loyalty for for that new online business. How do you get those first readers or customers or people consuming the content? Yeah, so this is where platforms like, let's say YouTube are, are just a godsend because YouTube is a giant search engine, like I said. And so it's possible to show up on, on search results, even if nobody's looking for you and your brand, they don't know who you are. And YouTube in recent years has really shifted their algorithm to be more, you know, democratized in favor of brand new channels. And so a good example is I tested this on my, my 13 year old daughter. She wanted to launch a YouTube channel doing screen recordings of a video game she was doing walkthroughs for. And so she filmed one, we edited it together, real simple video. We uploaded it to a brand new channel. We just, and, and I said, okay, what is this video about? Like when people want to watch this type of video, what are they looking for? So she kind of told me, cause I don't know anything about this game. And so I gave her a title. I told her to title it like the name of the game, the specific thing she's doing in that game. You know, all those keywords that she told me, we just, we weren't creative. We were just clear, be clear, not creative in the title. And then the same kind of words in the description, very basic SEO stuff for a YouTube video. We uploaded it again, brand new channel that day, zero subscribers. We walked away, came back three hours later. We searched that video game and that, that specific action in the video game or whatever she said. Her video came up on the first page of results. Again, zero views, zero followers, but it showed up on the first page of results. And that is how you're going to get discovered is these platforms are really shifting to like democratize for newer, smaller channels so that you feel like you have a fighting chance. And if you just start creating this content, that's targeted at this type of person and you show up in a way that's generous, value-giving, like you don't tease the answers, you just give them good answers, you will start to get discovered. It is not overnight. It's not going to be a lot of people. You won't get customers right away. But your first step isn't to get customers. Your first step is to build an audience because that's truly the asset that you can monetize later. Now, building out this as, as passive income, I presume that that involves a lot of systems, and as we mentioned in the introduction, some automation. So what are those must-have systems for a passive income business and why are those crucial? 
Yeah, it's pretty simple. You just, you know, from the content, whether that's a YouTube video or a podcast like this or a blog post on, on a free website, from the content, you need a way to get them to opt into your email list. This is so critical. And in a world where we're obsessed with social media, people have lost the fact that email marketing is the number one driver of sales online. And I've had so many friends over the years, but in the last week, I've had two friends with massive Instagram profiles get banned incorrectly and blocked and their channels come down on, on, and their, their profiles go down. And now they can't contact their, their following of 200,000 people or 100,000 people. When you build an audience on a social media platform, you're building it in someone else's you know playground. They own it. And so you're renting space. And so you want to own your own house. Don't rent someone's house. And the way you own your own house is, is control your audience by having your own list, your own email list that you can follow up with even if these platforms go away. And so the only systems you really need is, is a tool to collect email addresses and follow up with them with automated emails. And there's free ones out there to get started, like MailChimp. That's how I got started years ago. I think Intuit bought MailChimp, which was amazing. That just shows how powerful they believe in uh, email marketing. They spent a few billion dollars on that company. But that's a free place to get started. It'll, it'll give you a little piece of code that you can put anywhere or little free landing pages that you can paste anywhere to collect an email address and follow up with some automated emails. So you just need that. Uh, and then eventually you need a, a place to sell and collect payment for your digital product. It could be an online course. I use a tool these days called Kajabi. It's my absolute favorite tool. It does all of these things. It, it's your email capture. It's your website. Uh, it hosts your online courses. It could do webinars and all these cool, fun things. But there's so many tools out there that are like Kajabi. But for me, it's one tool that does everything. But you can get started for free with a tool like MailChimp. And then when you're ready to sell, you're going to need some other tool to be able to host your product and collect payment. You mentioned uh, MailChimp and Kajabi there, but are there other other software or tools that you're using in the business kind of on a regular basis or, or are those really the two that people should be setting their sights on? All I use is Kajabi. That's literally the only tool I use because they they pioneered the all-in-one solution um, for this type of business. So it's it's absolutely perfect. So I, I got rid of my WordPress site and my hosting. Like they do your they do everything. They host videos. They do everything. So for me, it's one login, one tool. All my sales data is in there. All my analytics are in there. I even do my one-on-one coaching with clients through there. They have like Zoom built in. I don't even have to use Zoom anymore. It's kind of insane. So if I had to pick one, I would tell people to get on Kajabi. There's competitors out there doing a similar thing. Podia is one. Kartra is another. Teachable is kind of similar. They've been around for a while. But you could pick any one of these tools and build your entire online business on it for less than $100. You could get started on these platforms for sure a month. And that's everything you would need to run your business. So this is going to bring us to a section of our show that we call our Fan Blitz questions. These questions come from our YouTube community. You can go to youtube.com slash upflip and join the community and post questions to future podcast guests. Graham, we're going to try and do about seven questions in 90 seconds here. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> All right. This first one comes from Gregory Demosthenes. And um, it's an interesting question because I think that this doesn't count against your 90 seconds, by the way, because I, it is interesting because we talk about a lot of like information giving in, in this kind of process. But his question is about he makes music. Um, they're currently just sitting on his hard drive. Is there a way to capitalize on music and I guess other creative output? Yeah, I mean, you can build an audience online by sharing your music, doing live performances. And even if you have nothing to sell, you could monetize with a tool like Patreon, where people support you monthly just to see more of your music come out. That's a great platform for musicians. Ryan Redinger asks, um, how did you get your first business coaching client and, and how do you gain more? YouTube. I was putting out YouTube videos and people would email me and say, hey, what would it look like for me to hire you one-on-one? -on -one? It was the craziest thing. And to get more, I posted more content. 
what do you do with your profits? Oh, pretty simple. Uh, spend it to, to live my life. Uh, my two favorite things though, beyond just you know taking care of my family are giving it away. Um, we give 50% of our profit away to charity, which is a huge joy of ours, and then uh, saving and investing for the future. What's the secret of business that will make me a billionaire? <laughs> oh man, generosity. Be generous with your customers. Be generous with your content. Be generous with the, your employees, with people. If you're generous, you'll become magnetic and I think opportunities will open up for you. What's the best part of being an entrepreneur? Own your own schedule, freedom, flexibility. No one telling you what to do. What's the worst part? No one telling you what to do. <laughs> you have to figure it out for yourself. <laughs> and it feels very lonely sometimes. Sometimes I just like to be told what to do. It'd be much simpler. Last one here. If there was a movie made about your journey, what would the title be? One little step at a time. I love it. I love it. That is going to do it for the Fan Blitz questions. Uh, again, those come from our YouTube community. You can go to youtube.com slash upflip, join the community and post questions to future podcast guests. Graham, just a few more questions from me here before I let you go. Let's say someone kind of gets gets everything set up and the the systems that you described in their business, but it's not generating revenue, maybe at all or in the way that they they feel like they they would like to see it. How do they identify the root of the problem? And are there common problems that lead to that situation? Yeah, I can think of three common problems my students face. One is, let's say on the front end, they're not getting enough leads. So people aren't seeing their content. So there's no way they're going to be able to sell to people. And so that would be a question of, okay, are, is your content clear? What you're helping people do and who you're helping? Is it, is it bold? Is it polarizing? Or does it, is it vanilla? Does it sound like every other content in, in that topic or niche? If it sounds like everything else, it, no one's going to care. You really have to stand for something, stand against something. Don't be afraid to share. People are going to hate whatever you say, whether you're good, bad, honest or lying, like you're going to find haters no matter what. So it could be content um, and you need to get, just tweak the way you're showing up in the world so that more people pay attention. Uh, and that sometimes just takes time too. that would be a, a fourth one I'll sneak in there is like people like I've been posting content for 90 days, Graham, and there's no one buying my stuff. Well, I would give yourself a two year ramp up to really get your, your business going. So you're probably jumping the gun there. Sometimes it's time. On the other side, if, if you're growing your audience well, but you're like, I'm, I'm not able to sell very much to them, it could be the offer, the way you're trying to sell your product. A great resource. I love Alex Hermosi's book, $100 Million Offers. It's a very easy read. And he's, he's brilliant at this of explaining maybe a process that would be helpful for you to take a look at your product and say, am I presenting in the best way possible? And just follow his framework of taking every objection and every challenge people have and, and turning it into a feature of the product and just saying that on the sales page. So sometimes it's the way we've packaged the wrapping of the offer. The product might be just as good inside, but the wrapping. And then one that blows me away that, that leads to people not making enough sales is they don't promote very often. And they don't ask people for money. It's, it's very simple. When you ask your audience for money more, you'll make more money. <laughs> it's, it's a little more nuanced than that, but it's pretty simple. And so I see some of my students who are so afraid to ask people for money. They're, they're just conditioned to give you know, their content away, which I, I tell them to do and I do as well. But they're, you know, it's a sales fear of like, I don't want to bug them. But this is a business you're running. This isn't a hobby. If you want it to be a hobby, then don't worry about selling. And then, but if you want to make a living, you have to to offer something. And it's not asking for money. It's offering them a chance to change their life. Like you're giving. That's all selling is, is giving. That's why my favorite book uh, is The Go-Giver by Bob Burke. And I was grateful to have him endorse my book. That whole book will blow your mind and change your mindset on what giving really or selling really is all about. Selling is giving people something of value and then they want to give you money in exchange. So it's one of those four areas. Maybe it's uh, your, audio, your content isn't great. You're, it's not giving it enough time. The offer needs a tweak or you're not promoting often enough. 
And earlier you mentioned one of the one of the fears for people in taking the step into starting kind of this this style of business is that there's no revenue at the front. But what are the the costs at the front? Like what are what did it cost you to get started and what was what kind of did that initial investment go towards? Yeah, I started my first business with $50. Uh, and that paid for um, $8 a month economy web hosting at GoDaddy, a free website with WordPress. And then I paid for a tool at the time called eJunkie, which allowed me to uh, collect payment through PayPal and deliver a zip file of my early online courses. They just got a zip file of the videos, which is pretty janky, but that's what I, all I needed to do back then. So yeah, $50 got me started. You know, you can post on YouTube for free. You can post on your blog if you have a website with basic hosting for $10 a month or less. You buy a domain name for 10 bucks a year. If you want to, you know, like I bought the recordingrevolution.com at the time. So $50 is what I tell people. It's all it takes to get started. If you really want to do it right, I would recommend people go straight to something like Kajabi. Their cheapest plan is $120 a month if you go with the annual plan. And some people balk at that, but it's it's literally the same tool I use to run uh, almost multi-six figure, a seven-figure a year business, excuse me. Uh, it's so cheap. It's, it's crazy how little that costs for what you can build. But you could get started, like I said, for 50 bucks. What is kind of your average monthly revenue of the business today? And what, what do the profit margins look like on that? Obviously, just that, that little encapsulation you just gave us sounds, sounds like they're pretty good. Yeah, I mean that's what I one of the reasons I love this business model and I talk about it in my book is it's it's the profit margins are high. Like your costs to run this are so low. It's 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 crazy. So, let's say this year for example, I'm averaging, you know, 1.6 or excuse me, yeah, 660,000 a month and we'll do the year's almost over about 1.7 this year. So, about $160,000 a month. Profit margins are anywhere between 93 and 95%. So, it's mostly profit. And how does somebody make sure as they're building out their business, how do they make sure that they are building something that is truly scalable and that they're not creating more work for themselves? Yeah, great question. So if you understand the model, this is what's helpful to get is the work that will be ongoing is lead generation. And there's really two ways to make leads or get leads. You can either run ads. Like I don't run a single ads. I don't pay for any advertisement. It's just all content marketing. So those are your two options. You can either run ads, people see your ads and you pay for it, but then they can join your list and hear about your products. Or you can commit to, like I do, weekly content. And that will drive viewership and leads. It's a system that's that's ongoing. And that's the, unfortunately, it's not 100% passive. If I wanted to be 100% passive, I would have to disappear from the content and have somebody else make their content. But someone's going to have to make the content. That's the ongoing work. The other three components, you can do at once. Those would be building the lead magnet. That's the free download our free cheat sheet or guide or um, this watch this video workshop if you enjoyed this free video that you just watched. It's an entire workshop that is free. It's a webinar you can come to. Whatever that free thing is, you got to build that once. You have to write the emails that follow up to that free thing once that eventually lead to your product. And you have to build that product once. And again, that could be an online course that you... It's a lot of work up front. I'm not going to lie. It's You have to map it out. You have to film it. You have to edit it. But once you've built that course, the lead magnet, the email sequence that follows up, and then the course that it, it sells them, that's all work you've done once. You don't ever have to do it again if you don't want to. I had a $97 course back in the day that I filmed. It wasn't even an HD. It was horrible video quality. I kept saying I was going to update it, but it kept selling and the testimonials were amazing. And so I sold it for seven years. I made $1 million off this little $97 course, never 
went back and changed it. And so for seven years, I made tons of money off this thing. That's the part that's scalable is you have the digital product that's being sold automatically to warm leads who have just found you through a Google search or YouTube search. The ongoing work that doesn't go away is the content each week. And if you start to launch a paid community or if you do any kind of group coaching, those are other ways to make revenue, but they will require a little bit of your time as well. What metrics or KPIs are you are you tracking on your business? And what are those those telling you about either content you should be making or what changes you may be wanting to make in the business? Yeah, the number one number I look at is is revenue. Because that's at the end of the day, that's all that matters is is it making money in terms of like the the cold hard economics of it. But like I don't care about, you know, my YouTube channel size. I don't really care about views on a video. In fact, I I, I make videos that sometimes go against what YouTube is looking for in terms of giving me more views, but it it works towards what I want, which is to make the sale eventually because I want them to get onto my email list. So I don't really look at those metrics as much as revenue. And then I look at email opt-ins. So the number of people opting into my email list each month is like a leading indicator for me. I can pretty much tell you how much money I'll make the next month or two based off of how many email opt-ins I got this month. So if I see email opt-ins going down, I can pretty much tell you that I'm going to go down in revenue in a couple of months. If they're going up, then I can feel pretty good about where revenue is going. So that's a big one for me is email opt-ins. And then I do track like open rates on my emails. Not as much now that some of the, the stuff that Apple changed or the OS is, is making those numbers a little less accurate. But click-through rates on emails or people clicking on the links. And then basically conversion rate of how many people who get the email about a, an offer actually buy the offer. Uh, and I have some numbers that I just try to keep a range or try to keep it in, but I don't look at analytics too much. It's usually once a month, I'll do a quick little dive on revenue opt-ins. And then I have a membership community. And so I'm looking at churn, which is the percentage of people canceling your membership versus joining your membership to make sure there's nothing crazy. Like, why is everybody canceling? Do I need to make something change or is everything good? So those are some numbers I keep an eye on. How has the online business landscape changed since you first got started in 2009? A lot's changed uh, and a lot hasn't. So what has changed is so much emphasis on social media in terms of what people think drives success. The influencer world is is so interesting because that's what the average person sees. So when people think of what I do for a living, when I try to tell my in-laws or my friends, like, what do I do? They think I'm, I'm some kind of influencer probably because they think you make money on the internet, you have a YouTube channel, you're an influencer. That's, that's a model to make a living but really that's a model of grow your audience as big as possible and by whatever means possible and then you can get you know companies to sponsor your posts do brand deals or you could just run ads on your videos and that is a legitimate model but it's it's a hard model cuz you need a massive audience the rest of us who want to make a great living six figures or beyond you you can do that on a very small audience if you're not trying to play this that kind of influencer game and so i think the change is everyone thinks that's what's going to lead to making money and so when i try to teach them about business they have that in their head and they're so focused on well i got to post more reels or more tiktok videos which it's, it's kind of a waste of time in that like you could grow an audience on that, but it's not going to directly lead to revenue unless you, you go viral and then some brands come calling. And that's, that's more luck than I think strategy. Whereas the things that haven't changed, email marketing still drives the majority of sales online. Great content wins. You still have to create incredible content. I'm seeing a shift even back away from short form content back to long form content. It's just kind of crazy to see the latest data I saw is TikTok daily users are going down in 2022. Uh, YouTube is going up and people are preferring these long form video pieces of content. The Joe Rogan Experience podcast is like three hours long. Tim Ferriss's podcast is two to three hours long. And you're Jordan Peterson's putting out these 
you know, these lectures, these, these lectures, they're lectures, they're not even, <laughs> and people are watching them for hours at a time. So it's an interesting trend. So I think what stayed the same is, yeah, create amazing content and build an audience. That's one thing that TikTokers have is they know how to build an audience. And that's a great skill, but make sure it's an audience that's going to be the right audience that would buy a product from you. And it's make sure it's a type of business that's sustainable for you. I have so many burned out social media lights who are coming to me saying, I can't keep posting reels every day. And I tell them, you don't have to. You can make one good piece of video content a week on a platform like YouTube. And you could do multi six figures, if not seven figures that way. Where do you go when you need support and advice in the business? That's a great question. For years, I was all by myself. And that was the hardest part because I didn't know anybody. I didn't know this was a thing or that other people were doing this. These days, I have a couple of friends that do similar business models. And so sometimes we just jump on a call like, hey, what are you seeing right now on YouTube? Are you struggling with this? I have a hard time with this offer. I try to stay in groups. I'm joining a new mastermind in, in, in the new year, but I've just been in one group all year long with other entrepreneurs and you know those daily or weekly calls or bi-monthly calls. Just being in a group of other people doing similar things helps you not feel alone. And then I also like being in groups with people who have different expertise uh, so I can ask them tough questions about, hey, how do I handle this? I've never done this before and you're an expert in that field. So I, I would just say, as much as this business model is great as a solopreneur, you can run this whole thing all by yourself. And I'm an introvert and I'm, I very much enjoy being by myself. I have no problem doing that. It's, it's not going to give you the energy you need. You're not going to get all your questions answered. So jumping into a group, and I'll pay to be in a group for sure, um, because I want to be with other people that are doing similar things, if not bigger things than me, and who have paid to be there and they take our time seriously. What's your biggest uh, source of headaches and frustration today? Have you found any strategies for avoiding or overcoming what's, what's causing them? Biggest headaches. You know, I'm really fortunate. They don't have very many headaches. Um, it's a really smooth business model. I, I would say biggest challenges are if for some reason tech doesn't do what you want it to do, or th there's always the game of like the content you want to post that you want to share and the game of what the algorithm wants you to post because it's what it thinks is trending. And so I can get frustrated with algorithms, even on you know, YouTube has an algorithm still, all of them do. And at the end of the day, we're still playing a little bit of a game. So that can be frustrating because I, at the end of the day, want to do what's best for my integrity and it's best for my students. Sometimes I, I lose a little bit on the growth factor because I'm fighting against the algorithm. So yeah, they, they frustrate me sometimes, but at the same time, they will, the algorithm gods, as I call them, will bless me with uh, some good SEO juice sometimes on a video that's, that's always helpful. So they taketh and they, they give it, they take it away. If you were going to start a new passive income business today, what would it be and why? Oh yeah, super easy. I would build one all about personal finance. I love helping people with their money. I think money is fascinating. Money philosophies are, are varying in their complexities and different directions. And so money is one of those few things we all have to deal with in our lives. Like our health is one of them. Other people is another one. So relationships and uh, money, like those are the three things I can think of that we all have to deal with no matter where we are. And so there's not really great education in that space. And there's a huge need for people to understand how to think about money mindset wise, and then how to manage it, not be afraid of it, not make stupid mistakes, not be too conservative. So I would love to help people in that space. I'm actually one of my bucket list things I'm going to be doing in here in the next few months is writing a money book for my two daughters. So that can be like everything I know about money that's helped my wife and I that I want them to have. And when they get married one day, they're going to make their future husbands read. <laughs> it's like, if you want to marry my daughter, you got to read this book. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I would start. If you could pick the one thing that people take from this interview, what would it be? Don't be afraid to start something, especially when you feel like you're, you're not qualified. I still don't feel qualified to do what I do. 
if that gives you any indication of what's possible. It doesn't matter how you feel about yourself. What matters is, could you go help somebody out there? And if you can view it as helping one person get 1% better in whatever that thing is that you do, that's literally the recipe for all that I've been doing. And you have to ignore not just the haters out there, but the fear and the inside critic in here in your mind. And that's what I would say is just don't be afraid and start even while you're afraid. What's your favorite business book and why? And you've mentioned a couple of great books throughout this interview. So curious what book you'll bring for this question. I mean, I always say The Go-Giver. I think everyone in business should read that. It's a little parable. You can read it in an hour. It will light you up and make you feel light as a feather and so excited to get out there and serve people. Another one that has been really helpful that I reference almost yearly is The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Uh, If nothing more than for the chapters on um, time management, or uh, he doesn't really like that phrase, but there's a section called elimination and that the mindsets there of how to think about the tasks we do every day or think we need to do in our businesses is so freeing um, because that book will really help you shed most of the things you think are important in your business and give you the time and the mental space to then actually do the work that will grow your business. So very practical, even if you ignore half the other stuff, it's totally fine. But yeah, four hour work week and the go-giver would be great choices to start. Graham, uh, where can people find out more about you and the work you're doing? Yeah, I would say grahamcochran.com slash chapters if you want to get two free chapters of my book, the first two chapters, which really explain the business model as well. Other than that, you can hang out at grahamcochran.com. All my content's there. And the book, How to Get Paid for What You Know, is is pretty much everything I've been doing for 13 years and that's working today in a book form. That is going to do it for this episode of the Upflip podcast. Listeners, make sure you check out the Upflip blog and our YouTube channel. Again, that's going to be um, upflip.com slash blog or youtube.com slash upflip for more business insights. You can also listen to some of our past podcast interviews with other passive income experts, such as episode 32 on real estate investing with Emma Powell. Graham Cochran, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, Alex. This was fun. 